Hello and welcome to the Pint Glass Gaming Podcast. Once again, I am Gary. I'm Daniel. I'm Jason. And we're here to talk with you about retro games. Now, before we get into our game of the episode, Daniel had some news he wanted to talk about with everyone. Uh, oh, yeah. And this one, this one was a big one. And uh, it saw the almost complete upending of a gaming game development staple. Uh, the holders of the Unity engine, a free to well, sort of free to use uh, game engine where that a lot of um, famous indie games have been developed on announced pricing changes that a lot of people did not like. They announced that uh, starting soon, developers using Unity would be charged 20 cents, up to 20 cents, every time their game was installed by a customer. Needless to say, this did not go over well at all with the public and developers because Unity was, was something used for a lot of games that were actually just free people just made things in unity and yeah like the free you know like the like the daggerfall recreation that's being made in unity too so i mean and that's just that's literally just a, a new engine just to just to load daggerfall data files and play games like play daggerfall in in the modern unity engine that's that's got no no income outside of you know donations and stuff like that so to charge you know projects like that money per install absolutely insane so the whole drama has happened you know over the last couple of weeks and unfolded it, it became so bad that the unity 3d subreddit <laughs> renamed itself from uh from like unity 3d the the most versatile game engine or whatever multi-platform game engine to the everybody disliked that game engine <laughs> <So>. <laughs> nice um, um and it wasn't yeah. wrong you know yeah uh the um the developer megacrit known for their game slay the spire for the first time ever released a public statement just like they, they, apparently they're pretty silent on a lot of things but this is one of the first times they actually released a company statement about it calling the decision a violation of trust <laughs> and i love how they ended their um their statement here we have never made a public statement before that is how badly you fucked up yeah uh <laughs> it's it's absolutely actually really terrible now unity to their credit sort of backed off the the blanket statement of install fees for everyone so they they their changes include the devs will pay the lesser of 2.5 percent of revenue or the previously mentioned install fees but only if revenue is above one million dollars which is self-reported there will be no install fees or, or revenue share fees below a million dollars at all so that's pretty cool the Unity free version, which is basically install fees below a million dollars, can now again remove the splash screen. Um, the fees will only apply to the 2024 LTS and later versions of Unity and not every version of Unity retroactive. Now, here's the uh, you're, you'll be on the same terms of service as the Unity version you download. So that's cool. Now, here's one of the things that will be kind of a stick stickler for people. You, using Unity going forward will require you to be connected to the internet. There's a 30-day grace period for users if you have no internet connection now, but it's still going to require you to be connected to the internet even if you don't have, even if you're using a single-player game. So that's that's one of those things that developers are still kind of pissy about. So that's uh all. Yes, there are some games out there that kind of have to be online. I can't play Destiny 2 unless I'm connected to the internet. Because the game literally cannot function without playing with other people and playing on Bungie's servers. But this is fucking Unity. We're talking about indie games. Like I should not be. I should not have to. I should not have to do online checks for some free indie game that some guy developed in his basement. Like, that is just ridiculous. It's predatory, is what it is. And then, as a developer, you have to sit there and hope you don't get more than a million installs. It's it's so counter. No, no, not a million installs. A million, a million dollars in revenue. Uh, that's still. You I know. Go, yeah, I mean, I, I, well, I mean, if you're, if you I hope I don't. I hope I'm not successful. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's what you have to hope for. You have to hope for. You know, you're not successful. And by the way, just to sort of remind everybody, if you've been in the gaming industry long enough. The Unity CEO is John Riticello, so Dick. <laughs> I mean, if you want, if you want to look, if you if you want a guy who just looks like a soulless corporate whore, it's John Riticello. So just look up his just look up his name 
on on Google and the picture that comes up, this dude has this dude is dead inside. He has he has no respect for the for the industry or or, or the people who make the industry possible, and and it's reflected in, in what Unity has been doing. Let's go. Let's talk about a couple of the games just in case people aren't even aware that they're playing Unity games. Pokemon Brilliant Diamond, Shining Pearl, Pokemon Unite, Super Monkey Ball, Banana Mania. Like these are some Wasteland Three, Cult of the Lamb. We talk about other games that maybe people have uh, people have heard in in terms of like maybe memes or or just popular in indie games as well. You do, you, you do have Among Us. You have uh, you have Beat Saber, which is stupid popular right now. City Skylines, A Valley Without Wind, uh, Rust. Rust is Rust. a huge one. Rust, Seven Days to Die, Bomber Crew, Albion Online is made in Unity. Cluster Truck, Ghost of a Tale, Escape Plan, Angry Birds 2, if you give a rat's ass about that, I don't. Any of the Angry Birds, really. Uh, well, the first one's not in Unity, but... We got Night, Night in the Woods, oh, Metal Rim Hellsinger. Rimworld, Subnautica. Hollow Knight. Hollow Knight, yeah. So, I mean, Cuphead, everything is basically made in Unity, which... I understand Unity would want to cash in on that, but you can't just go from one day saying, hey, our our terms of service and our fee structure works one way, and then just pivot overnight and go, oh, by the way, fuck you. You can't, you can't do that and not expect backlash. And I'm sure they expected backlash. Uh, the, the way they've changed it to, to only if you have a million dollar in revenue, I mean, I don't like it, but... If I'm, if I'll be honest with you, if I'm bringing in a million dollars in revenue with my game, okay, fine, uh, fair enough. I should be at least paying for the game engine in some fashion. But man, as a gamer, just as somebody who just, who just, who just wants to play games, I don't want to have to be connected to the internet just to fucking play a single player game. Like that, that is such, that is such nonsense. That's and I such hope Microsoft's nonsense. listening because that's their plan for the future, the always connected future. I mean, listen, you can, I've, I've been always connected. That's not, that's not, it's not that terrible of a thing. The, the problem oh, is, awful. the, the, pro, I mean, it, it's, it's not, it's not that terrible of a thing when you willingly do it. It's a terrible thing when all of your stuff gets disabled because you've just been offline because of a snowstorm or a power outage or something. Then it's God awful. So that's it, one I, of the things that's been bothering me about my steam deck too, because like, when I bring my Steam Deck with me to play things and I get an error message, like when I try and play Persona 4 or when I try to play the Resident Evil 4 remake and it tells me you don't have an internet connection, you can't play. It's a bunch of bullshit. Yeah, I know. I hate it. I, I Don't get me wrong. I hate it. I'm not saying I'm not saying it's not implemented poorly. I'm not saying it's not predatory. But I am saying, you know, if you're willingly always connected because, you know, you're a dork like me and you just you have a Tesla and you have a cell phone and you work online and you work remote and all this stuff it's not bad when you willingly do it but when you're forced to do it just to enjoy the things you've paid money for it's a pain in the ass it sucks it really does so that's really all i gotta say about that in summation unity are dicks ah <laughs> yep so what games has everyone been playing i have two that are i think will actually kind of be very relevant to the game that we will be talking about um, because of because of certain specific things. One I'd like to really mention is called Faith the Unholy Trinity. This is, how do I describe this? It's model, it looks like, it looks like a modern version of an Atari game where everything's very, you know, everything's very pixelated. Your character is literally just a bundle of pixels. But it also it also uses um, rotoscoping, which is uh, taking real film footage of people and drawing over them to create a very fluid sort of animation for its cutscenes. I found this one to be very interesting. Is that like Ralph Bakshi's Lord of the Rings with the orcs and everything? Uh, y yes, yes. But this <laughs> this one's not nearly as um, weird. Well, it is weird. It very it very much is weird. But I loved it. You play as a priest named John Ward. And there's literally only two controls in this game. Movement and Jesus, as, uh, as the YouTuber Wendigoon put it. Literally, you move around and you press spacebar to hold up a crucifix. And you use that crucifix to damage the demons that are coming at you and exercise uh, demons from, uh, from cursed objects. 
And not only did I find this very interesting as a uh, as kind of a callback to uh, to Atari style games, but the story was also very, uh, very interesting because it took a lot of inspiration from the whole satanic panic of the 1980s where, oh, no, you know, there's you know, evil you know, cabals of uh, devil worshippers some trying to summon demons to our world. I, I thought it was really well done. Uh, really, really, really fun and actually pretty freaking scary. Uh, the rotoscoping used to uh, simulate the priest either getting possessed by a demon or a demon coming at you. It's like, damn, it was really messed up, but I thoroughly enjoyed it. The other one might go down, if not as if not my favorite of the year, one of my favorites. And it's an, another indie game called Pseudo Regalia. And uh, in this game, you play as a you play as a self-described goat fox cat like thing named Sybil, who is who traverses a dream realm to uh, confront the Lord of the dream realm to get her to wake up. I got to say, I don't think I've ever played a game with better movement tech than this. It is a 3D is a 3D platformer. Uh, it only took about uh, five or six hours to play, but also six bucks on Steam. So why not? And man, this game is a joy to just fly around. Like you get you get a slide, you get a slide jump, you get a ground stomp that you can uh, that you can link into a high jump. You get a wall ride, and you can link all of these things together to literally fly across maps at ridiculous speeds. And not only that, but they're, it, it's so good and so intuitive that it actually becomes kind of easy to sequence break in this game. Like, there are obviously certain parts where, oh, okay, I'm supposed to use this. I'm supposed to use my charge shot to throw a wind blade at this switch to activate it to, lo- to lower a bridge. Or you could just do a dash jump and link that into a ground stop and link that into a super high jump to get right over that bridge to get the key you're looking for. And not only that, this game's uh, this game's aesthetic is um, styled in fifth generation of video game consoles. So think play early PlayStation One and Nintendo sixty four, complete with the slightly juddery uh, frame rate. But even with that, it felt so fluid and so much fun to play through. I've already played through it twice. If you like if you like platformers, which I love, if you like Metroidvanias, which I love. You owe it to yourself to pay the six bucks for this game. And not only that, <laughs> my my favorite actually my favorite part about this, it has the best accessibility option I've ever seen in a game. Because the character you play as, uh, yes, this anthropomorphic furry character, this goat bunny cat lady, um, she's got this classy like tuxedo vest on and these really cool golden like greaves, these thigh high greaves, but she got no pants on. I mean, you obviously don't see any of the, you know, good stuff. But yeah, she got no pants. She got a vest and greaves. But uh, yeah, she's uh, she's freeballing it out there. And the only accessibility option in this game, give Sybil pants. He can literally just click that and he can literally just give her pants, which I thought was fucking hilarious. But, you know, if you're a true Chad, you, 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 you play as the good indie developer Ritzler intended and, you know, play the game with, you know, while she's not wearing pants. Sans pants. Yes, exactly. You see, now that's an interesting concept because I will say that of of my game collection, the generation that I play the least is the N64 PS1 generation. I I feel in terms of aging that many of those titles are kind of lacking. Yeah. Actually, of, of all the games I could think of to compare this to, I almost think of it as a good version of Castlevania 64. Weird. That's that's kind of a scary thought. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, but yeah, very much so. If if the developers behind Castlevania 64 or Superman 64 were actually competent and knew what they were doing, you'd probably get something akin to pseudo regalia. That's that's where I'll stick up for the developers. No one knew what they were doing and they tried something and it didn't work. The developers of this game, at the very least, have the benefit of hindsight. What about you, Jason? What you been playing? When you look up a list of some of the weirdest games ever, you'll see things like 
Nobby Nobby Boy, which was released by the same developers as Katamari Damashi. You'll also see Katamari Damashi. You'll see Muscle March. You'll see uh, Hatoful Boyfriend. You'll see Goat Simulator, Stanley Parable, I Am Bread, WarioWare, Seaman, Crazy Bus, Bus Simulator, or Desert Bus, excuse me. Games like that, right? You'll, you'll see like these weird, these games you could typically proclaim to be weird. I have been playing a game that tops all of that. It's never on these lists, and I don't know why, because I'm going to read for you right now from the official walkthrough for this game, and you tell me this doesn't sound like one of the most batshit insane games you've ever heard. This is step number 30 in the walkthrough. Get Granny to drive her incredible washing flying machine out of the washroom and into the great beyond. Before she can do this, she has to find a way to lever up the rails so that she doesn't impede her progress. This is easy, but keeping them up is more problematic. If the rails don't remain up, check that you have all of the following items. A snorkel, colored worms in a basket, a bottle of brandy, suntan lotion, a flying casket, a coat hanger, and a scarf. Gas! Step number 32. Full throttle. Now you get cutscenes of Agent Rabbit, one of his henchmen, astronaut Granny in orbit, finishing with a map of the worlds with Granny in her incredible washing flying machine at the villa. Sounds like a LucasArts game. It's, it's, it's an Israeli game made by, made by uh, Mach Chevette, published by Surtech for Microsoft Windows 95. It's called Armed and Delirious. Released in 1997 for Microsoft Windows, I am reading straight from Wikipedia now. It was written and created by Israelis Benny Dadovich and Mach Chevette Limited and published by Surtech. The player is a delirious grandmother who tries to save her family. Her family, who were cruel to animals, are imprisoned by the Great Rabbit. It has very surreal gameplay and nonsensical puzzles. It's five CDs long. And it uses... Every last bit of all those five CDs for just the most insane shit I've ever seen in a video game, period. Fucking period. There is none of this makes a damn lick of sense, dude. Like I, my brain went from like, okay, this is going to be sort of like a weird, you know, drunk granny adventure game. And at least maybe there'll be some semblance of logic. Fuck no. That we we took the semblance of logic and we chucked that shit out the fucking window. That's that is gone. There's no there's no logic here. There's there's there is there is just I don't even know how to describe what there is in this game. There are things like an MC Etcher type level with you know the the stairs going every which way and you open a closet door in this level only for a, a, one of the gray aliens to come out of the closet, kick you, knock you down, pick you up and drag you to the edge of the MC Escher level, and then kick you over the MC Escher level. Then he goes down one of the staircases, and you fall from the top of the MC Escher level back down to the beginning of the level, and I don't know why. There's no reason for it. You don't do anything with it. It's not part of a puzzle. You don't interact with him. It's just fucking there. And that's the whole game. That is, that is out of all of the different scenes. I mean, there is one scene in this game where you literally climb up clouds to go to the sun, to open the sun, to get to the ending sequence of the game. There's no hints that you have to do this, by the way. There's no clue that says you've got you've to go to the sun by climbing up a bunch of clouds. on a di by the, And by the way... There's different planets, but you travel the world on, on, on a flying washing machine that you construct out of, like, I don't fucking remember what. You fly around this planet to different other planets. It is beyond surreal. It is just batshit. There's, there's one planet that's supposed to be Earth, but it's actually just, like, globules of gr glass, uh, grass floating in space. And there's still a dude mowing the lawn, like, hey, this is perfectly normal. This is this is just life. I I live here and I mow the lawn. Like, oh, okay. Well, you know what? That's that's good. That's armed and delirious. If you ever get the chance to play this game, I dare you to try this without a walkthrough. And then I dare you to try it with the official walkthrough. It doesn't get any easier. You have to I, I had to go on Google and find 
a third party walkthrough that spelled out what you had to do because there are some puzzles that are just they're batshit i mean not some they're all batshit but they're just there are some of them where i was just like i can't even begin to see what the logical sequence was there for you to put this together for this to happen there's there's one puzzle where you have to there's this barber trimming a hedgehog in a barber shop and you have to get rid of the barber so you can get rid of the hedgehog so you can sit in the place of the hedgehog and then kick the uh kick the um uh the the sink you know the barber sink and all that you kick that and then it opens up an entirely new the wall just opens up and there's a staircase that leads down to a room full of fans and you have five seconds in the room full of fans to figure out what the hell you're supposed to do there before they turn on and turn you into mincemeat i'm not gonna lie i went i went to the official walkthrough and the official walkthrough was just like oh yeah you know you, you may want to do this because and by the way ciao florence like what the f is going on here i had to find a different walkthrough that was literally written by one of the game designers and they insisted at the beginning of the walkthrough that no when they made this game they were not on drugs <laughs> I had to find a different walkthrough than the official walkthrough to help with this game. It is that insane. So when you when you look at a list of the weirdest games ever, just know that they're all full of shit because Armed and Delirious is absolutely number one. Hands down. Goat Simulator got nothing on this. So I take it back. It's not a LucasArts game. It's a Sierra type game. It is, it is a video game that came out of a fucking NyQuil dream from my head, Daniel. Oh, Jesus Christ. So how I, many cactuses were fucked? I mean, look, look, I mean look, click and get a football helmet. If you click again on the above machine, the bed crashes down and stops Granny from getting the helmet. You can try if you like. Don't worry. Simply click on the machine again and the bed retracts. What does that mean? I don't know. I, I never knew what the hell it meant. But there's a machine there, apparently, on this screen. And I was staring at this. I'm going, what machine are you talking about? What, what machine could I possibly click on that's going to make a bed in this room retract? Where's the bed? Oh, there's the bed. Where's the machine? I don't know. I moved my mouse around about a billion times until I found the thing that says, oh, you can click here. Click there. It was apparently a machine. I didn't know what the hell it was. It looked like a gray blob of shit. So I clicked on the gray blob of shit, closes the bed. So I clicked on it again, opened the bed. Okay, fine. But what, what, in what universe does this have a rule set? That This isn't even like a logical rule set of physicality. Like at least dungeons and dragons has like a, a logical consistent rule set you can follow this is not a logical consistent rule set this is like this is like if you uh, uh, this is like if you played like halo and halo every 20 seconds decided we're gonna change the physics completely good luck asshole that's what this game is like it's very disconcerting well then what have you been playing gary to address the elephant in the room, there has been a bit of a gap in our recent content. And the, a large reason for that is because, like other New York legends, Vinny Testaverde and Aaron Rodgers, uh, I tore my Achilles tendon and have been recovering. So, needless to say, there has been a lot of video gaming as I have healed I've been playing first Starfield, which I would describe as good, not great. I heard Starfield has has its issues. I heard I've heard it's had its issues, but I, I I've also heard a lot of people who have been really really down on it for not being like what they imagined it would it could possibly be for being in development so long, and I kind of feel like it gets unfairly judged. It's it's a Peter Molyneux situation where. There were some very, very grand promises made that I don't think were ever really practical, but it's good. My main complaints are that the space combat's not as good as I had hoped it would be. The All right, so flying in general. You're in this confined space. You don't actually have like all of the universe to fly around in. If you're in front of a planet, 
you have to fast travel to land on that planet. It's not like you could fly into it and you'll get closer to it. The the planet will forever be in the distance. No matter how fast you go, you're not going to like run into it. So you, you basically have to fast travel everywhere. Planets are empty, save for like two or three locations that take you a really long time if you're going to walk to them. There are no vehicles, so you either walk and jetpack your way around or you fast travel. So exploration's kind of... I didn't do much of it. It's more Fallout, I would say, than it is Elder Scrolls. But that's really anything that you have firearms or lasers involved in is going to have that issue, I think. Uh, but you know, I think a lot of people are also, uh, I think a lot of people are also really tired of waiting for the next Elder Scrolls. So I think, I think it's a lot of that unfair comparison too. I, I honestly think a lot of Starfield, for as much crap as it probably deserves, gets a lot of undeserved crap because people are just piling on because they they want you know more Elder Scrolls. Uh, definitely, it's a. Uh, I would still recommend people pick it up and give it a shot. But it's, I think, what, what GameSpot gave it a 10 out of 10 or IGN. It's not, it's not a 10 out of 10 game. It's not. There are plenty of issues. There are plenty of problems. But you'll still have a pretty good time. I've also played Persona 3 Portable uh, on the Xbox because I want the achievements. I'm pretty far into that. And uh, Baldur's Gate 3, which is so much fun. I can't even believe it. I cannot believe how good that game is. Now, I'm playing it on PS5, and I know for a fact that just in terms of the interface, it would have been better on the PC, but I didn't know if anyone would play it with me, and I had some friends like our special guest, Marco, by a mic stand. And it is as close to Dungeons & Dragons as you can get without actually sitting at the table together. And me, me and Giancarlo and Marco have had a game filled with fuckery. Like we're, we're, we're just messing around yesterday. I died a horrible, fiery death in a volcano. Unfortunate. Um, it's, it's one of those games too, where I don't know where this is going to enter into the story, but I got to choose my character's penis, but they wouldn't let me zoom in on it. And I don't think that's fair because if I'm going to make an informed penis decision, I have to be able to zoom in. If you're going to, if you're going to let me choose, what's the point? If you can't even, what's the difference? They all look the same. I have to see the oh, minutiae. No, wait, no, hold on, no, hold on. Even from a distance, they all look the same. So, like, no, wait. So, you mean to tell me? So, if you mean to tell me, like, you give them like the Hugh Jackman Wolverine cock, and you can't even see a difference between that and Pee Wee Herman? Right. It's like you have ah, penis choices A, B, C, and D, and it's like, yep, that's a penis. What's that's the that's lame. Come on now. Like, if you're gonna give me the, if you're gonna give me a Samuel L. Jackson option for my penis size, I at least want to see the snake hanging out of the uh, hanging out of the shorts. You know. But uh, Baldur's Gate, it, it's going to be many website and publications game of the year, and I will have absolutely no argument because it really is that good. And honestly, you can do anything you want to pretty much in that game. I've heard you can fuck a bear in that game. I haven't gotten the choice yet. Well, apparently not a bear, but apparently you get, you, you, you get a companion who's a druid, and you can ask him to turn into a bear. God bless America. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I think I'm good. Apparently there was a best-selling Canadian um Canadian romance novel about a woman having sex with a bear. So, uh That's uh that's that that I'll be honest with you, I'm I'm actually really disappointed it's it's about a bear because if, if for Canada, you you think it'd be about having sex with a moose or a beaver or a bucket of maple syrup. That's the one I was going. I was, that's what I was going for. Although the maple syrup, I think honestly, is is probably more along the lines of like you know, whipped cream or something. I don't think it's going to be like the direct object of affection. We go on such journeys here at Pint Glass Gaming. Yeah. A, a maple syrup romance that sounds pretty sappy. I fucking, I actually really loved that one. That was a good one, Dan. I'm not gonna lie. So this Wait. week's episode, <laughs> it comes from the land where they'll cut off your hand if they don't like your face. It's barbaric, but hey, it's home. It's the Prince of Persia, Sands of Time. Well, technically, it takes place earlier than that part. Wait, does it? I'm not quite sure. No, I don't think it does. Well, anyway, let's head into the game overview. Game overview and facts. The Prince of Persia game as a series was created by one Jordan Mechner a uh, programmer and Yale University graduate who got into game development uh, while he was in film school, of all things. 
He started with a game called Karateka, using the uh, aforementioned uh, rotoscoping technique to draw over uh, real-time footage of people doing, uh, doing karate moves to create a karate fighting game. That one released on the Apple II and was a fairly big success. So he followed that up with um, a game uh, inspired by the likes of Robin Hood, Indiana Jones, and the uh, 1001 Nights you know, tales uh, from the Middle East to create the original Prince of Persia. I think we mentioned it before on the on the show. But in that game, you basically had one hour to traverse a dungeon, platform around uh, various traps, obstacles, and fight off enemies uh, to rescue a princess from a uh, from a sorceress sorcerer named Jafar, who apparently was moonlighting as a Disney villain. Prince of Persia originally came out in 1989 and was followed by Prince of Persia 2: The Shadow and the Flame, also a success. Whereupon the publisher Broderbund was sold to a company called The Learning Company, who did a lot of those. Uh, if quality learning computer games of the late 80s and early 90s, though they continued under under another separate developer called Red Orb Entertainment for their non-educational games, where Prince of Persia 3D was released and was a huge, huge disappointment. It was Bubsy 3D levels of bad early 3D platforming. So the series went dormant for a few years, uh, when the rights to the Prince of Persia franchise were sold to Ubisoft. Although Jordan Mechner still owned the Prince of Persia intellectual property, but uh, Ubisoft brought him back to, uh, to revitalize the franchise, which eventually became Sands of Time, utilizing 3D platforming and hearkening sort of back to the, back to the style of the original 1989 game of a very athletic uh, Persian prince parkouring around obstacles and getting in fairly standard combat encounters all in a quest. And this, this time alongside a princess, this game was huge at the time in 2003, it broke sales records. It garnered almost universal acclaim and thrust the Prince of Persia series back into relevance. The, the Sands of Time spawned several sequels, uh, three, Warrior Within, Two Thrones, and The Forgotten Sands, and even uh, propelled Jordan Mechner to help screenwrite the Prince of Persia movie. Boo. Yeah, yeah, it, it was not very good. I mean... I, I actually liked it. it well, for, I, I think for the time, it was probably the best we had in terms of movies based on video games. But... Movies based on video games will always be a cursed proposition in my eyes. As a jaded old time DOS gamer, um, I I hate everything about modern Prince of Persia. But oh well. See, I hate everything about old Prince of Persia. Ah, you youngins and your damn newfangled 3D graphics! Back in my day, we didn't have no 3D graphics. We had to jump past skeletons with swords, and then they'd stab us, knock us down flights of flights of, uh, of floors, and then we'd fall down 40 flights of floors and die about 45,000 different times before we finally figured out how to get past them. Only for the damn timer to run out, and then we'd die anyway. God damn it! My childhood sucked. Yeah, we played Castlevania too. Oh God. <laughs> so. This episode's going to be like a special two for one because we're going to have to talk about that original game, Prince of Persia, as well as Sands of Time. I think they uh, go together quite well, and you can see the evolution of the series. So uh, I, we'll wait. Uh, I guess still gameplay to talk about that. Well, actually, perhaps we should talk about the story first. Ah. Storyline. The Sands of Time is set in uh, medieval Persia, uh, right around the rise of Islam, although that doesn't really have any relevance to the game itself. It begins with the eponymous prince narrating to the uh, narrating to the player about his adventure. So technically you start after everything's happened and the whole game is framed as him telling you a story. It's actually kind of funny. Whenever you die in the game and get a game over screen, you basically hear him go, no, 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 no. It, it didn't happen like that. Let me try again. 
no, 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 that that didn't happen. No, no, I'm sorry, I messed up. Let me try that again. It has. It, it already starts with a bit of a um, funny attitude toward it. The prince and the army of his father are passing through to visit a uh, a local sultan. Or upon a the vizier of said sultan tricks them into infiltrating their palace, where the sands of time, the eponymous sands of time, are stored in an hourglass. Uh, in an ensuing fight, the prince steals a dagger, an artifact known as the dagger of time, and is tricked into stabbing the dagger into the hourglass, releasing the sands and turning basically everyone in that local area into sand monsters, all with the exception of the prince, the vizier, and a girl named Farah, who seems to have some sort of protection against it that, be, that becomes revealed later on. Initially, the prince and Farah are on very bad terms because the prince and his army basically invaded and caused all of this shit. So when they meet up, they are very much at odds. But over time, as they journey through the um, through the city of Azad to, to reseal the sands of time back in the hourglass and stop the vizier from whatever he's trying to do, they form a bond. And it's actually very natural because both of them have very believable, very interesting personalities. The prince is an egotistical jerk. Very much so in the beginning, although he softens up. Farah obviously hates his guts, but they go through a they they both go through an arc and kind of sort of a um sort of a romance, a pseudo romance, kind of not. It, they they don't end up together, but throughout the whole se- throughout the whole thing, he the prince grows uh, from the egotistical jackass into an actual hero. Uh, finally resealing the sands of time, undoing everything that happened throughout the whole time. And at the end, with all the knowledge that he got after rewinding all of time back to before everything happened, infiltrates the uh, the palace alone at night and is able to unmask the vizier and kill him, saving the sultan, Farah, and everyone of Azad. It is revealed that this whole time, this is the prince telling the whole story to Farah herself. And at the very end of the game, he tries to he, he tries to have a romantic moment with a kiss, but doesn't turn out well. So he rewinds time again and thinks better of it. As his final arc, he decides to hand back the dagger and go on oh, his way. Uh, he, they were in love, but the issue is when he rewound everything, he's the only one that remembers it. Oh yeah, that is true. She doesn't remember it and she kind of rebukes him so he rewinds time and then as he's slinking off he mentions a word that farah's mom used to say to her that no one else would know so it kind of confirms everything that he had just told her was in fact true yep the kind the 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 the, the final line call me kakalukia i think that's what it was and it's it is a really great moment as he slides down the as he slides down whatever the tree or the um or the banner to run off into the night, leaving Farah stunned, but convinced that all he said was true. Gameplay. As an OG DOS gamer who played the original Prince of Persia to death, along with where in the world is Carmen Sandiego, um, I just gotta say, I freaking love Prince of Persia Santa Times. Uh, I, this is probably one of the first games to have a truly impressive vertical environment uh, in almost all of its levels. And even though the, the textures are limited, um, the detailing is, is limited relative to today's games, I absolutely loved how they designed these levels around the verticality of, uh, of, of the prince. I, I just think it's probably some of the best level design out there. I also think that the the platforming, as it is, is really really smooth and fluid, and it's kind of almost intuitive in 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 a way. Once you play the game enough, 
the only real complaint I have about this game, and, and in fact, what are the, and another thing I can compliment it on is is the writing. The writing is absolutely top notch. Oh um, God, yes, I love the writing in this game. This 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 game had a fantastic story through and through, and they had like witty one liners and and stupid stuff. I it was just it was great. I I love the I love the the world that got brought to life because of that. Um, that was fantastic. The one thing that bothered me about this game while I was playing it is the combat. And and to be fair, Prince of Persia, the the OG Prince of Persia, had god awful combat. And as much as I have nostalgic memories of the game, I did, the combat is for me it, it, it's a game of rock paper scissors, and it's still to this day one of the the hardest things. I think I've ever tried to play, uh, tried to do in, in, in the OG Prince of Persia. And combat in this one, for me, really does fall flat. I, I don't know how to explain it. it it's, it's all mocap combat. And so if you've ever played games of this time period that had mocap combat, you, you get what I'm trying to say. It's not smooth. It's not fluid. It can be really jerky at times and, and really hard to to do things like um like vaulting over enemies on walls uh it, it's there's a weird timingness to it that's just wrong it just doesn't feel right it's not ah it, it it needed like another year year and a half to bake before they before that combat really could have been exceptional and it just for me it it falls i don't think it's very good i personally really really love playing this game and I think I ended up playing uh, the whole way through. Uh, I sat down from beginning to end and basically played it through in a couple of days. Uh, and it was great and absolutely fresh for me. Um, this was hands down. As man, somebody... get, getting a little ahead of ourselves, man. We're, no, we're, not, even up, we're not up to the no, final verdict. No, no, no. no, 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 we're, no we're, 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 I'm going right there, man. I'm going right there. Dude, the, this game has such... Uh, God, I, I wish the combat was better, dude. I wish it was better. Yeah, um... Yeah, the, the combat is the one flaw of this game because, uh, yeah, the uh, the sword combat, while serviceable, I think, was very fiddly. I would say uh, you had the, the the prince was kind of slow when it came to fighting. Yeah, you 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 could do tricks like you know like flipping away from things, vaulting over enemies with the dagger of time one of the things you could do was stun things with the dagger and then you know and then sort of you know knock them out for a moment before de delivering the, the killing blow the big thing about this game was the sand powers you could slow down time to, to gain an edge in combat if you fell and got pummeled to death you could rewind time to uh, to get a do-over on that same thing for the platforming if you jump if you did a bad jump which I am slightly ashamed to do to admit I did a lot in this game when I played through it again. You can rewind time using the sand dagger to uh, to get a do over on that instead of just getting a game over. The combat, yeah, it it, it was a bit imprecise, a bit uh, a bit fiddly. My complaint about the combat is once you figured out something that worked, you could basically continue to spam. Like you, there's one where you run up an enemy, you basically jump up and then you come down with the dagger. And I just repeated that for the whole game. There was not much to it. It didn't require any thought. It's the same thing over and over again. I tried mixing it up because I'm the kind of person that's determined to, uh, to add variety where it doesn't seem like there is any, but yes, it's, it, it, it does become very easy to sort of cheese the combat if you really know what you're doing. But all of that, the combat is ancillary to the true star of this game, which is the platforming. The platforming in this game, until I had played Pseudo Regalia recently, this game had the best movement tech I'd ever I'd ever played in a game. The, the prince can you know can flip flip over flagpoles. He can you know ju you know jump on swings, balance on beams, uh, run up you know run along walls. You know jump from wall to wall like Mario you know, Mario style. And yeah, pe people will love the platforming of Mario, especially Mario sixty four, considering the speed running uh, community is huge in that. But even with how fun uh, that can be. There's just something about it that is just so smooth and fluid and intuitive that makes this game truly special. 
and all and like like Jason said, all the levels and all the maps in this game are meticulously designed around that movement tech. It was where it kind of reminds me of when I played Portal for the first time. Everything about those maps is meticulously tailored to let you use all the abilities you have to their best effect. It almost at the at a point felt like a puzzle game where once you, you know, once you looked around the room and you got an idea, you put in that button sequence and boom, he's, you know, he's running along a wall, jumping to, to a banner pole, swinging on it to a, to a pillar, grabbing onto the pillar, jumping to another rope, swinging on the rope, jumping to another part, running up another wall, running up a wall to a switch to open up a platform, running on that platform. It's it, at some point it becomes it's almost like a Zen feeling. Once you really know what you're doing, so few games get this so right. Like I said, pseudo regalia, I think may top it in terms of just how good and fun and smooth the movement is. But Sands of Time is still special in that regard. If there was no combat and it was just him platforming, I'd be okay. I'd be perfectly okay with it. And it's only made better by the, uh, you know, by the sand rewind system, because like I said, there were times when I did make a bad jump and I'm a little confused as to where I'm going. So just, oh, I'll just jump over here and I fall to my death and I'm like, oh, let me try that again. I will say this, the controls, the controls and the camera especially can be a bit uh, annoying at times, depending on what you're doing. But that was just kind of par for the course for the time. There, there were still things about camera systems that really weren't hammered out to, to their full shine in 2003. Like even as late as 2005, you know, in a game like Manhunt or something, we were still dealing with odd movement and camera systems. Whereas nowadays, if you're not left control stick to move the character and right control stick to move the camera, you're doing something incredibly wrong. I felt that whenever I missed a jump or I went too far walking along a wall, I, I never felt it was because the game was poorly designed. I knew that I was the one who screwed up. But that's, so, that's just a testament to how well-designed and how well-developed the game was because you never felt like it was unfair, like the game had bad had bad programming for the for the control input or some weird controller lag or there was some sort of weird like little input they they put a lot of time and effort to making this game feel smooth it must have taken forever to fine-tune it to the degree to the detriment of the combat and i'll tell you the fails that you get from this game like i wish i would have captured it because there's some funny funny fails that uh, i accrued while playing the game falling into pits and rewinding but then not rewinding enough <laughs> yeah there, there were a couple times where the um the, there is like there is like a sort of um uh, a sort of buffer or memory time that the sand does have so if you take too long to uh you know to rewind you can sometimes get to a point where you're kind of stuck because oh oh i rewind 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 oh crap i didn't have enough rewind juice and i rewind just just to the point where I make the jump <laughs> and it's just this hilarious thing. We're like, come on, rewind, fall to death, rewind, fall to death, rewind, fall to death. Yeah. The, 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 I, I would, I would call that, uh, maybe call that a flaw, but it was never a deal breaker. I think the, the, I mean, there were a couple times where, uh, you know, the prince's movement did feel a little, um, a little loose and a little imprecise to where I did something I didn't intend to do. But at the same time, like I said, this was 2003. That was just kind of expected at the time. Perfect movement wasn't there yet in video games. Now, the original Prince of Persia, if we could talk about that for a minute. Fuck oh, that yes. game. Oh, no, 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 no. Fuck you. Fuck that game. What? What's no, 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 no. Okay. Fuck you. Fuck Jet Set Radio. All right. Yeah, oh, oh, or, oh, are we getting? Are we getting another one of those where I get to decide? Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Jason? Oh, well, for the original, yeah. for the original. Yeah, we'll, yeah, yeah, we'll, yeah. We'll do two verdicts. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll, All right. Let, let, yeah. let Gary go first. Let him. Okay. All right. Yeah. Get Gary. Tell me why I should call the original Prince of Persia 1989 skunky. Because it's fucking shit. 
Let's start at the very beginning. All right, you have your 60-minute timer, and it's going to haunt you from the beginning to the end. The controls are terrible. The Prince of Persia should not be skating on ice. There's no ice in medieval Persia. You're sliding everywhere. Hey, you want to get down from a ledge? Turn backwards, then press down. If you can't figure that out, you're going to be falling a lot. Hey, you don't have a sword? That's cool. Dead. Jump over this pit. Oh, you fell down a pit. Because you have to be running and jumping at the same time. The game is not, doesn't understand the control inputs. And they always come up late, no matter what platform I played it on. I tried this on the Super Nintendo. I tried it in the special features in the original Xbox version of uh, Sands of Time after I beat it. Numerous platforms, all the same problems. Terrible control, terrible combat, stupid time limit. The prince is blonde, and they never would have let them, let them get away with that. Color palettes or not in the year 2023, there is no reason to go back and play the original Prince of Persia. It's frustrating, and it's terrible. Well then, Jason, tell me why I should rate Prince of Persia 1989 as fresh. Oh, you shouldn't. You absolutely shouldn't. It's not fresh at all. But I will tell you this. This guy right here, Gary right here, he's not playing on an OG PC. I played on an original Tandy 1000HX. And let me tell you something. The controls on that were worse than the ones that are on modern consoles that he played it on. They were even worse because the computers were even slower. Because the game was even slower. But... Here's the thing about the original Prince of Persia. You're looking at it as if it's an action platformer. It is not an action platformer. The best way I can describe it is that it is a, a grid-based, a tile-based puzzle game that you have to have specific movements in. It is not an action platformer. Don't think of it as an action platformer. It is absolutely a grid-based puzzle game. That is how the prince moves. The grid's really small. It's not an 8x8 or a 16x16 grid. It's like a 2x2 grid. But that's how the prince moves. Once you understand that he moves on a grid and he's not sliding all over the place, that's when you start to realize how you're actually supposed to play this game. It's a cautious game. That's why there's a 60-minute time limit. You do have to be cautious in this game. 90% of this game is you figuring out where those stupid-ass floors that fall out from under you are. So you can know how to avoid them and, and, and in what order to avoid them in, because that's another piece of this puzzle as well, is that not only do you have to find where these magical floors are and how they and what they do, but you have to find the order in which to collapse them correctly in order to proceed through the level. That's the whole puzzle of Prince of Persia, the, the OG Prince of Persia. It's literally figuring out how do I activate these switches? In what order do I activate these switches? And in what order do I collapse the floors that'll lead to my inevitable demise? That's, that's the game, Prince of Persia. It is 110% a puzzle game. It's a puzzle game with a really shitty implementation of rock, paper, scissors in its sword fighting uh, capabilities. By the way, if you ran into a guy without a sword, uh, it's either the very first guy... Uh, which you're supposed to just sort of run by and, and pray to God you don't die, or uh, you've gone too far and you missed the sword, go back and pick it up. Now, you complain about dying all the time? Let me tell you something about dying all the time, brother. This game's not it when it comes to dying a lot, okay? I, there's, I, have, I have a list of games about 20 miles long that will, you will die in way more then you will ever die in the OG Prince of Persia, okay? If I want to punish a child, I will make them, I will tell them no Christmas no, if you, presents no, no, if you no, don't no, no, beat no. this game. No, 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 hang on, no. No, 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 you want to punish, fun. you want to punish a child and tell them, oh, they, 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 can't, they can't have any Christmas presents unless they beat this game? Make them play the NES version of Simpsons Bart versus the Space Mutants. Make them play that game. That's punishment for a child. Prince of Persia, you tell them it's a puzzle game, and they'll figure it out. They may not like it. They may not enjoy it in this modern day and age. That's the issue. It's not fun. You can figure it out all you want. Shit. I mean, listen, Dan. 
I can't sit here and honestly say that it's fresh. I can't, I can't make that argument because Gary's right. In a modern day, in a modern context, the OG Prince of Persia is, is kind of trash. They should in throw it out with the copies of E.T. context, however, given what it was in 1980, what was it, 1989 or 7? I think it was 87. I don't remember. But given its historical context, it was a breakthrough game that, that sold like wildfire because of its innovative design, its innovative features, and the fact that it was, in fact, this puzzle platformer that hadn't really been a thing up to that point. Well, <laughs> like I, 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 first of all, I love this back and forth. This, 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 that was amazing. I'm glad I can just sit back and listen to that. But I, I played Prince of Persia 1989 for this, and I could see how people would enjoy it. I can definitely see that, just like Jet Set Radio. I could see how people would enjoy that too. But yeah, the, this, the, the, the original in 1989 is definitely skunky by today's standards. Uh, there was a lot of, I would say a lot of memorization involved. A lot of figuring things out and do-overs and trial and error, I would say, where a modern gamer would just put down his controller or his mouse and keyboard and not bother after a while. If that if that kind of thing is your jam, then yeah, by all means. But yeah, I would definitely say the original by today's standards is not good. One point for Jason on Jet Set Radio. One point for Gary on uh, Listen, on Prince of Persia 1989. I Listen, make no celebration. Jet Set Radio fair, for I life. Absolutely conceded the point from the get go that the game is skunky compared to today's standards. There's no there's no denying it. I can't sit here and defend it. But my God, it, you can't tell me that it's it's punishment for a child when when any of the Simpsons games exist, except maybe the arcade game. Oh, well, no, and Hit and Run and, you know, those two. But I mean, like the original, like NES and SNES games. I actually liked Bart versus the Space Mutants. Ah, I'm one of the only people that's yeah, ever well, gotten that's, past that's stage one. Though. You, you figured out how that those goddamn spray cans worked. And meanwhile, I'm riding on this fucking skateboard going, what the fuck is happening? Why am I dying? Wait a minute. And I hate the color purple. Wait a minute. Jason, you're the until we win guy. You tell me you couldn't beat that game. No, I beat it. I just hate it. Oh, okay. Fair enough. All right. Let's get to the final verdict. Final verdict. Skunky or fresh. I spoke strongly about the original Prince of Persia, but none of that will apply to this game. I enjoy the storyline. I enjoy how well fleshed out the characters are their interactions are real their motivations are believable it, it's written so well and i honestly liked the movie and it takes a lot of the same ideas with certain cinematic license of course uh, the gameplay is really fun you're generally given an idea of how to get through the puzzle and then you just have to piece it together they show you the beginning and the end and the rest it it's your canvas to paint on this is so well implemented honestly for the time i think that the controls and the camera were, were really really good and i think it's something that other games kind of modeled themselves after and, and for good reason this game is 100 percent fresh i would recommend it to anyone and it was something i was very very enthusiastic about playing once it came up in our list so if you haven't played it already go for it and I would also recommend the sequels as well. So, Daniel, what do you think? First of all, if you are going to play it, I might actually recommend against the Steam version because it took a little bit of fiddling to actually get it to work. The the ports for this for PC alongside the rest of the tr the rest of the I guess quadrilogy at this point, Forgotten Sands, Warrior Within and Two Thrones are kind of notorious for having not very good ports. Uh, it, it took me at least half an hour to actually figure out how to get the game to recognize my goddamn controller. But that, but that's beside the point. If, if, if you can only do it on Steam, go ahead. Just be prepared for a little bit of legwork to actually get it to run properly. If you have it on consoles, awesome. Play it on that. But yes, this game is a classic. It still holds up. The movement, as I said, until I played Pseudo Regalia recently, 
is some of the best movement I've ever I've ever played in a game. The the puzzle like atmosphere of each map as you're parkouring around is just so intuitive and always fun to play through. Uh, the combat, while serviceable, not great, but that's totally beside the point. The characters are amazing. The like the, the their their dialogue is just fantastic. It's it's hard to even think of another game that has dialogue and characters this good, like this fleshed out and this well realized. And the game made me laugh a lot, you know, several times with uh, with the dialogue. Believable characters, amazing movement, okay combat. There's really not much else I can say about it. It is definitely fresh. You should play it if you've never played it. If you have, go back, go back to it and soak it in again. You can't go wrong with it. It's fresh. And I think I think we already know what Jason said. <laughs> but I why, why don't like you six repeat times? It? Because it's fresh, 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 fresh. Don't even make me go over it again. I love this game. I, I no, I <laughs> okay, legitimately fine, like, I was not fine. expecting to like love this game, but then I played it and I fell in love with this game. This game is awesome. Go play it. There you have it. Sands of Time is unanimous. It is a fresh game. It will go into the hollowed halls of Pint Glass Gaming's Hall of Fame. That does not exist. Maybe it'll exist eventually. It's time to pick the next game we're going to be talking about. Can I have a drum roll, please? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the next game featured on Pint Glass Gaming will be Bioshock. Nice. Oh, Daniel, I can't believe you don't have anything to say about that. I, Bullshit. I, 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 hold, I, I was thinking. I was thinking for a moment. <laughs> Is a man not entitled to the sweat of his brow? Would you kindly end the show, Daniel? Oh, yes. For Pine Glass Gaming, I'm Daniel. Wishing everyone a good night. Hey, hey wait a minute! <laughs>